correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, a podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. What's up, Gamer Nation? Welcome back to Me and Steve. Steve and I are here again tonight, like usual, and we also have a guest. So, uh, how are you doing, Steve? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, how are you doing, Steve? <laughs> well, you know, um, right side up and, and all that fun stuff. And like I mentioned, we do have a guest this week. And while normally we would do our little D20 network highlight before we introduce the guest, in this case, they are a member of the D20 network. So we're going to let them highlight their own program. So uh, Kirby, if you would like to uh, give us a little pitch. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Kirby. I am the co-host to Prime by Cortex. It's a podcast where we sit down and talk about the Cortex Prime RPG system. Uh, we also sit down with uh, Cortex creators. Uh, those are people who are working on stuff for the Cortex system. So it's going to be this uh, sort of ecosystem where you can just create your own uh, game and make money off of it. We've also uh, sat down with like Cam Banks himself, uh, who wrote the game, and we've done interviews with other people from fandom. Uh, it should be abundantly clear that we are not the official like Cortex podcast, but we we like Cortex a lot, and uh, you should come check us out. We'll we'll usually talk about different parts of the system, and then every now and then we'll even just make a system on spot and just talk about what we think should go into a game that is primed by Cortex. Cool. Yeah, I was actually, the other day I was listening to the one with, um, can't remember the gentleman's last name, Dan... Telfer? Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, the guy that did the, um, the what is it, the beta doc for... Um... Yeah, he's the uh, narrative lead for uh, the Tales of Exadia, uh, which is aka the Dragon Prince from Netflix. Uh, so Cortex got their hands on that IP and they released a playtest and he's the narrative lead for it in general. Uh, you might actually also recognize his name from like some of the comedy stuff he's done on TV. Um, he's also been a writer for like Mad Magazine. Just he's he's done all this other stuff. So you might recognize the name from that. Yeah. And I think uh, I didn't realize it was him, but it, uh, I remember him mentioning in the interview, he's also on Brian Pesane's actual play podcast. Uh, nerd poker, I think it was. Yeah, I believe that's what yeah. it's called. I think I listened to an episode or two a long time ago before he actually joined it. But in any case, so yeah, go check out Kirby's podcast. It's a cool show, and, and JT's a pretty cool dude, too. <laughs> yeah, J JT Domino is my other half. Fortunately, he couldn't make it here for this recording. But uh, yeah, it's it's not just me talking to the ether. It's usually him and myself just going <laughs> back and forth. Yeah, much like we do here, I think, in a lot of ways, other than you don't both share the same first name. So, <laughs> uh, not, not yet, not legally. Uh, okay. Yeah. You're working on Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> See, Steve, I told you people were going to try and steal our gimmick. I warned you. <laughs> so, um, you know. Uh, Cortex, this edition is relatively new, I believe. What it came into print really about the end of the year, didn't it? Uh, like I want to say October last year, twenty twenty. Yeah, I was going to say I know the the PDFs you know came up, but I thought it it actually hit stores end of the year ish. Mm. 
Yeah, that was like a whole kerfuffle. I mean, COVID is a big thing. The game was anticipated to come out like much sooner than it did. And then uh, there was a whole kerfuffle with making sure it got to like uh, your local gaming store and uh, all that jazz. But um, yeah, the, the PDF's been... At minimum, the PDF's been available since like October, in which, you know, it, Cortex is owned by fandom. So they're eventually uh, going to have like an online platform for Cortex, uh, just mm-hmm. kind of like the uh, D&D Beyond. Yeah, which is, so to speak, their claim to fame, is it not really? Yeah, yep, absolutely. Uh, so they're planning on having that, and it's, it's supposed to be like this platform where you not only get to reference the rules, but uh, you're going to be able to make your character sheets on there and do the dice rolls and stuff. And uh, they they don't have that feature out yet, but yeah, you can get the PDF on their site now if it's not already at your local gaming store. Okay, so it's going to be like a, a D&D Beyond and a VTT all rolled into one then. Yeah, which I, which I think is pretty apt uh, because Cortex itself is like, there's no like one character sheet that you can really put for Cortex. So when you're talking about like unofficial games that people are just making for Cortex, it's going to be tough to like get all of that for like Roll20 or Foundry VTT, right? Um, so I think it's going to be a good, good move on their part. Yeah, yeah, it does sound like it because like you said, you know, I haven't actually had a chance to read it yet. I do have a PDF. But, you know, time being what it is and pesky, you know, real life job and all that fun stuff. But I do know from from having listened to, to your show and hearing a little bit of talk about it in other places that it is it is very modular and very customizable. And I think maybe, you know, I don't know, where do you think is the best way to start talking about it? Because we've had some talks around, you know, be it Genesis and stuff. And I know that's a system that you're familiar with, but I know Cortex is a a customizable toolbox in a quite different way from Genesis. Yeah. So I, I think with Genesis, which which is a good game, by the way, it's you're typically still like looking at uh, this toolkit where uh, it's it's familiar from game to game. There might be some tweaks here and there when it comes to making stuff for Genesis, but you can look at any um, sheet and you can tell like where the tweaks are. And through that through that way, like it's way easier to have like a roll twenty VTT, right? Uh, make a sheet for that. But with Cortex, like you can look at the PDFs book. They have three mini settings, and you'll find three completely different character sheets. But it all comes together at like the this one base. So to like back it up a little bit, Cortex Prime is like a toolkit like Genesis, um, which not to knock Genesis uh, or other generic systems, but Cortex is probably the first generic system that where I actually felt personally that I had different tools at my disposal. Uh, because when it comes to like Genesis and stuff, you're still kind of you're still kind of doing things like the Genesis way. It's all just kind of very streamlined. And sometimes that's what you want out of a game. But when it comes to like Cortex, you're able to like mold Cortex around what you're doing rather than molding what you're trying to do around Cortex, if that makes sense. It does. I I can definitely understand that. Now that I'm getting my hands on more Genesis, I understand what you're talking about, where it feels like some things sort of feel like it's it's um, and it's a great system, but some things really feel like it's just this thing reskinned or renamed to be something else. Whereas you actually have a completely dedicated alternate rule set. Right. And you know, I, I don't want to like mislead people. Like at the end of the day, there are certain core mechanics 
that are just core to like the Cortex experience where it's probably going to seem, it's probably going to play and maybe sound samey, but I'd like to think of what, what makes Cortex different is that it's not just renaming these different traits is what those traits wind up doing for your story. Um, so like Cortex, uh, with Cortex prime, you can have like a very traditional, character sheet where it's like your attributes your skills etc or you can pick these different like tools uh, to tell different types of stories like you know maybe you're doing like a, a cw superhero drama uh you can have um what would probably be out for that would probably be like values and relationships so those are all like uh, traits that you'll have on your character sheet that you'll actually roll because the uh, core premise of uh, Cortex is that if it's important to you, to your story, or if it's important to your character, chances are it has a die rating attached to it. Okay. Now, again, going back to what I've heard you guys talk about on, on Cortex Primed, Cortex, like you were saying, it it has stats, but it it doesn't, unlike pretty much every other game I've ever seen, it doesn't always use its stats. You have various different components, be it stats or values or, you know, other assorted things that you use depending on, like you were saying, what you want the emphasis on in your story, correct? Yeah, that's that's one way to put it. I think basically is like, you know, you're the core mechanic of Cortex Prime is building a dice pool, right? And you're building a dice pool based off these various traits that you have on your sheets for whatever is important to the situation. Uh, so, you know, JT is not here, so I, I can just use him a little bit like a punching bag here. But let's say that I was trying to contest something that JT said, right? Maybe I will pick up my die, my relationship die with JT, which might be rated at D10, because uh, this is a system where the bigger the die, the better you are at that thing. And then maybe I'll pick up like a uh, D8 podcasting host die and maybe I'll pick up another die that's like a D8 social die or maybe a D8 charm die if you want to break out further than like a generic physical, mental, social spread, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then I'll, I'll roll those dice and, you know, it all boils down to the same mechanics where you're just trying to beat the difficulty and, you know, you might have complications that pop up. Uh, if you roll ones, etc. But the dice that I chose to make that roll color the situation, you know. And so, like, I think in that example, if I had chosen, if I had picked a physical die rather than like a social die, obviously, maybe I get a little handsy with JT rather than talking him through a thing. Um, there, there are probably much stronger examples of that, but that's like the absolute basics. It's you're, you're typically rolling at least three dice that are all these different types of traits uh, that the system calls trait sets to then uh, inform the narrative. All right. So now you say you're building a dice pool. Are you then totaling up all those dice? Are you picking up the highest one? You picking the lowest one? I'm guessing higher because you said you're bigger, your die, the better. But yeah. Uh, so it's a roll and keep system. And so you're rolling a dice pool and typically you're keeping two dice. Um, and yeah, you, you typically want higher dice, um, higher or bigger dice, depending on the situation. And so basically like uh, the method where you would just tally them all up together, it's uh, what Cortex calls a mod. And basically that's pretty much like the kind of like heart and soul and what, what makes this like so hard to like lay out like a character sheet or example situation is that it's a very modular game. Uh, that's that's part of their talents. This multi-genre, multi-tool, modular system, and so 
half the things I just mentioned uh, could easily be swapped out for other stuff. And we've already talked about how, like how you can swap out traits. Uh, so maybe you want something more in depth than just a social trait, right? Maybe you want uh, charisma, composure, presence, or whatever have you, right? But even down to like the core mechanics, if you wanted to mod the game to count all the dice as one total rather than just keeping two, uh, you're allowed to do that. Um, the other half of that is like normally you're being rolled against in order to set that difficulty, uh, usually by the GM or maybe it's another player that's rolling against you. But if you want to cut down the rolling, there's a mod for that. You can just have you can just have the GM declare what the difficulties are. Uh, so there's there's a lot of things that you can take from Cortex and kind of mix and match. And that's the kind of stuff that we talk about on the show. Okay. Yeah, because I'm, I'm looking at the, the kind of the front pages in the PDF of the book now, and it does, it's a, you know, multi-genre, modular, you know, session-centered role-playing game. And, and that's the seeing the centered, session-centered thing reminded me, we were talking with another host from D20, Sugi, which I believe you know him. He's the, what the heck is the name of his show again? Squad Tactica. Yes, there we go. Um, <laughs> just had a brain fart. But he said, you know, he really likes Cortex, he said, but it does feel very episodic to him, which he said, you know, is kind of a nice thing because you know, it does create kind of these little self-contained things where, okay, so, you know, it suits itself to maybe somebody doesn't show up. Well, they're just not in this episode, you know, where, you know, like a lot of other games, well, okay, so-and-so doesn't show up. So they're coming along in a bubble because we may be half the world away by the time we start playing the next session. Yeah. And I, I think there's a couple things that play into that. Like, uh, first and foremost, there's like the mechanics itself. Typically the mechanics measures itself alongside like, uh, okay, has this scene ended? Um, okay. This, this happens like maybe all the stress steps down for all the, all the characters, right? Because they've transitioned to a new scene or maybe the like assets that they created, uh, during gameplay um, is no longer relevant because they moved to a new scene. But then also, you know, depending on what you're choosing to do uh, in terms of like advancing your characters, um, they have a mod that's called like the growth pool. And essentially you're building this growth pool based off of wh whatever your GM tells you. It's, it's normally like, uh, did you take stress? Okay, you get a die for your growth pool, that kind of thing. And so where that kind of like comes back full circle is that at the end of the session before the players leave the game ideally as uh, all these characters are having a little tag scene uh, where the players are kind of rolling for their growth pool to see if maybe they improve the skill or maybe they improve the relationship and then they're supposed to do a little tag scene where they talk about like oh well it's, it's the end of this 1930s noir uh thing i am I'm at my office uh, drinking some whiskey, going pouring over the notes uh, and trying to improve my investigation skill, right? And that sort of thing. So it's it's supposed to bring it all home to like a very like, yeah, uh, episodic feel. But then additionally, like uh, when it comes to Cortex, I personally like splitting my players up a lot in just games in general. And Cortex is not the type of game where you have to worry about like don't split the party um that's especially true when you consider that in cortex you know you could have a player who plays the bad guy right if you're playing smallville which used to be like one of the uh, older cortex games you can have a player who's like lex luthor right uh, whereas another player is superman mm -hmm. uh, so yeah you can absolutely slot people in and out as needed or split them up or you know not worry about like party balance because someone's missing 
Oh, that's pretty cool. I, I you know, I, I like that a thought hadn't occurred to me until you just mentioned it, where, so to speak, you could have a member of the quote unquote party, but you don't have to have your traditional party dynamic, which I think is, is neat because mm. uh, I, I don't know that I've ever seen a game that, that really lends itself to that. I mean, you could always have the turncoat, but that's, yeah, it generally doesn't work too well other than more than a surprise kind of thing. Yeah. And I, I think like I tell a lot of people this and a lot of people are rightfully wary of what does PVP look like, right? Um, especially if you come from like a, a traditional like D&D background, right? Because in D&D, uh, which is, I think, is okay system, but it's ultimately a game where you create a character who's largely geared toward fighting. Uh, and you're playing around with other characters who are also geared toward fighting, but might be better at fighting than you. Like, why Why would the cleric get into any, like, sort of interpersonal problems with the neutral, evil barbarian who just did the bad thing, right? Player-wise, right? So um, when, like, the natural thing to fall back on is fighting. But with Cortex, like, you have all these different tools uh, that basically gets funneled in a way toward a simple like conflict resolution that does allow for one good role playing um you can have two players where one's darth vader and the other one's luke and they're duking out but also role playing through that conversation of like join me uh, etc right while not having to worry about like well he's this class so darth vader's just gonna win automatically if that makes sense no, no, I understand. And and this is something that, again, you know, going back to, we, we did talk about Cortex a decent amount when we had Suki on the last time. And he was saying, in his opinion, to a certain point, Cortex seems very focused on the inter-character relationships, perhaps even more so than the relationships of the characters to the world in general, where that, you know, typically in, like you were saying, more traditional games, be it D&D or whatever, it is... It's the party versus the environment where, like you're saying, and, and I think it goes back to, you know, like you mentioned Smallville, and I believe they did Leverage and, and some other, you know, TV mm-hmm. drama related games in previous versions of Cortex. So this tends to focus more on relationships than than action, we'll say. And I don't mean to say that it doesn't do action. and I don't have any experience with it, but, that you know, that's that's kind of where its focus is. Is that fair? That's I would say that's mostly fair in the sense that, um, you know, from my experience, obviously I run it a lot. Um, It can do just your regular action. It all kind of depends on how you build the game. But I think in terms of like what's making Cortex shine over other generic systems or even over like the system that you're already using for a thing, right, is is that interpersonal relationship that you can potentially have in the game. If you don't want it to be front and center, you don't have to be, but it depend it all depends on like what your build is for that given Cortex game. You know, this you've already mentioned a couple where like Cortex has done like the heist type of game. Um that one didn't really delve into relationships too much, uh, from what I remember of it. But it's done Smallville, which is obviously like a, a soap opera, right? But on that same note, it's also done Marvel Heroics, which is probably the most well-known cortex game i would say while also still doing firefly which uh, you know firefly didn't necessarily delve into relationships as a mechanic but you know you might be asking like outside of like the the role play what what encourages a player to do that interpersonal role playing right and you know that's some of the mechanics if you have like a relationship dice or if you have 
uh, say the growth pool where the only way you can add dice to the growth pool is by taking stress, then you're going to have players who are going to take that moment where they're like, you know, they just slayed the dragon, uh, saved the villagers, and maybe they're ha- sitting down by the fire and they're going to be like, well, we're close to the end of the session. It didn't take that much stress. I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll heckle the rogue PC for uh, stealing from uh, the peasants' houses while they were evacuated from the city. And so they'll get into a contest with one another, role-playing that out and doing some dice rolling. Um, and yeah, maybe they both walk away with not only stress that will help them improve their skills, but also just some really good role-playing. I really like what I'm hearing about this because I think one of the things that sort of gets missed in social interactions and RPGs is when you butt heads with somebody, when you don't agree with somebody necessarily all the time. I think what happens a lot of the time is you see social interactions in RPGs where people want to just, oh yeah, I, I agree with what they're saying. And maybe morally they object, but they're just agreeing because the system to like, like Dungeons and Dragons is a perfect example. The system to do a disagreement would be to opposed constitution or uh, charisma checks. And that's just awkward all across the board. And I do actually like what I'm hearing as far as being able to do player versus player opposed checks and it not being a mess or awkward. Yeah. And it's, it's just like, you know, there's a lot of role-playing games where, uh, you know, a lot of people are going to tell you that like, oh, well, I, I don't really need social mechanics to get some good role-playing. You know, that that might be true for that table, right? You might have a phenomenal table whose title card for their podcast might happen to be a critical role. I don't know <laughs> where, you know, they have some great role-playing moments without mechanics. But I'm, I'm here to say that like a, a good system and not even just like Cortex, right, will have good mechanics that don't get in your way for role-playing, but rather enhances the role-play and pushes your character like acting in the way that is appropriate that maybe you wouldn't have thought of. And when it comes to like D&D and, you know, especially when we're talking about like interpersonal like disagreements, it just all circles back to like, why would I as the cleric who is very fragile pick a fight with the barbarian when, you know, a lot of tables discourages uh, even rolling against each other as players. So what, what mechanics is there to back me up in the social confrontation that might get violent? And I mean, the answer, unless you're homebrewing something or uh, maybe taking the influence system from Pathfinder 2nd Edition, the the answer is there's no mechanical incentive, right? There's a school of thought in game design, too, that if you want something to matter in your system, you need to make rules for it. And look, you know, both Steve and I play Dungeons and Dragons and run it and have fun with it. But it's also, I don't think either of our go-to system, if you will. It's sort of like that one that, well, okay, we have friends, they want to play something and they'll play D&D, so we're playing D&D. But, you know, I've said before, you know, D&D wants to claim that they have these three pillars, you know, of of combat, social, and exploration. And I've said, yeah, they have three pillars. You have, you know, a highway overpass pillar that's combat. You have a telephone pole that's social and a two-by-four leaned up against it that's exploration. (laughs) Yeah. You know, yes, they're all technically pillars, but that doesn't mean that they're equal. 
Absolutely. I mean, again, like I'm not knocking D and D. I don't want to yuck someone's yum on D and D, but it, it's a it's a good punching bag. I mean, it's it, I'm punching up when I when I talk about D and D. I feel because uh, they're they're the top dog in gaming right now, right? But you know, you, you have a book that is geared toward creating character that's. You know, most of your options there are geared toward combat. You have a second book that is about fighting stuff with your combative abilities. And then you have a third book that hardly anyone reads, uh, the DMG. But yeah, <laughs> uh, so I think that just kind of like highlights what I think makes Cortex shine, right? Beyond other like general systems. And, you know, if I want to incentivize a character, I can attach a die to it, or I can make it a reason for them to improve their character. Uh, for example, I'm running a, or uh, I'm trying to write a horror game, right? Um, what, what incentivizes a character more to like break off from the group in the slasher than giving them a die and saying, hey, here, take this D12 solo die. You can roll this die anytime you're by yourself. And, oh, hey, it happens to be your best die. Uh, so, you know, players will typically try to put themselves in situations where they can roll better, right, in general. Uh, so you're going to have players who are going to weigh the pros and cons of maybe just going off by themselves to roll that D12 solo die. That's different. But, I, yeah, it, it like you said, there there's mechanics to to reinforce the things that you do you want to happen. And I think what's kind of unique with Cortex, from what I'm hearing, is that you can move the parts around so that you can put the parts that you want emphasized for your game in that higher important slot. But the next time you want to run a game with a different story, you could put a different thing there. Yeah, I, I would personally say it would take little to no work to even with the same group, even with the same characters in the same story. Uh, to session by session, move stuff around. If you if that's what you and your players want, that's not typically what you're going to see with your standard Cortex campaign that I know of, uh, but that, that is an option. It, it doesn't take much to slot something out for something else if you want to emphasize something. Like, say, like one day you're... Uh, you're out in the swamps fighting monsters, but then, you know, next session, uh, you now have to take that monster's head and do some courtly intrigue uh, because for whatever reason, the king's not taking it as a serious threat. But, you know, you need to find the characters that are whispering in the king's ears. And so maybe you try to de-emphasize the traits that are for combat and swap it out for more social intrigue. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's stuff like that. Yeah. That's neat. I like that. Yeah. Uh, Cortex, like in general, when you're building a game, um, has what they call like, uh, we already talked about trait sets, uh, which are these various different things. You might have attributes, you might have skills, you might have relationships. Those three are three different trait sets. But when you're building a game, you're trying to also uh, center around at least three, maybe four prime sets. And prime sets are the dice that you have to roll every session or uh, every time you pick up the dice to roll. And so as you can imagine, you know, there's a big difference between having to roll a relationship die every time you pick up the dice or having it just be an option on the sheet to maybe roll. So th that's another way that like Cortex lets you emphasize like what's important to your specific Cortex build. Okay. Yeah. I'm definitely going to have to read this because how do I want to say this? I don't want to say it sounds complex in their traditional kind of crunchy complex thing. It sounds, well, modular. So you have to like learn the pieces to know which ones you want to use. Yeah. I, I would say like 
you know, crunch wise on a scale of one to 10, Cortex can swing depending on what the build is. It can, uh, I would say, like at a minimum, sorry, out the box, simplest Cortex game is probably a three on the crunch scale. We can get up there to like seven, 7.5 in the crunch, depending on how you're building your game. So you can always just take it slow. And I will note to listeners that the, um, the Prime Handbook is. You know, it, it obviously has the uh, mechanics there for players to learn. Uh, it is by and large definitely for the GM looking to build their own setting. So it, it, it might be overwhelming if you're a player who's just trying to figure out how it works and then, you know, you get halfway through it and you're like, wait, that was an optional thing. It, I think it's easier for GMs to just tell their players, these are the ingredients that I'm using for this Cortex build. These are the pages they can find it in, in the rule book. Okay. So now then, as of currently, the only book in print is the game handbook, correct? Yep. The only thing in print is the game handbook where, or I shouldn't say we because I'm not fandom, but um, they're expecting to release Tales of Exadia this year. And we should be getting, at the very least, a playtest for uh, Legends of Grayskull. They did get the Masters of the Universe IP as well, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm excited for because they said it was going to be a multiverse thing. And uh, I frankly just want a party of nothing but Skeletors. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know what? That sounds like such a cool campaign setting. I would love to play in that. Being able to play in Grayskull is like, you know, just it's just so cool. Like, I love the fact that they officially licensed that and that's something they're they're using. So. Yeah, I'm excited for it. You know, I, I was a big fan of the uh, latest She-Ra stuff. Um, I started getting more into the old, like, band stuff uh, because of this game. But, you know, also they're they're doing that, like, miniseries. And they did a, a demo of the Legends of Grayskull game uh, with some of those voice actors. Cool. But yeah, it, like, uh, the, the Cortex Prime Handbook's the only one that's printed. It does come with three mini settings. Uh, one of which you can actually just view for free on their website. It's uh, Hammerheads, and that's kind of like the um, crisis response team. Like you get your own like little ship, and you're responding to disasters. It's a um, love letter to some older show that I am blanking on right now. Yeah, it was uh, Thunderbirds. Yeah, yes. the old marionette show. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought that's what it was, but I didn't want to open my mouth until I'd confirmed it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's a cool setting too. I, I really like how... It seems like this could do very episodic very easily. And also at the same time, if you really wanted to, you could you would have no issues and it wouldn't fight you to do long running narrative. And I, I like how flexible it seems the system is. Yeah, like right now uh, on our show, JT and I did a mini series, which was uh, just a very like generic sword and sorcery type thing inspired by like Conan, a little bit of Black Company, etc. And uh, we recorded that over three sessions and we're chopping up in episodes. And uh, I mean, that that's could have easily just been a longer running narrative. No problem. I, th- I think when it comes to like Cortex and like doing episodic or not, because, uh, you know, some people don't like episodic. I, I'm here to assure you that you can do like a, a long running thing. It, it kind of just depends on, I would say, how you're building, like what, what options you're picking for improving characters, because they, they give you a few different options. I've mentioned the growth pool before, but you can also just say that every session just counts as one XP if you want. Um, they have like a like milestone uh, way of doing it where you get XP for doing certain things. 
So there's, there's a lot of options there. And, you know, anything in the book is kind of sort of just a suggestion. You can always uh, create new things over at the Cortex Discord. They're always doing something new. Okay. I did want to ask you about that because you had mentioned the, the growth pool and what I was curious because clearly based on everything I'm seeing, this is not a, a traditional class-based system. It's It seems like it's very much kind of a, not even an archetype or even really a skill-based. It, it, it clearly very much depends on what you build when you set up the game as the GM. Mm. But I was curious as to how it handles character advancement well to circle back a little bit yeah it's, it's a classless game right um they offer an option for gms who are building their games to like let players build their characters from scratch based off the notes that the gm provides some you know take this many dice in this etc uh, etc et they also offer the ability to actually do archetypes but even then you're not you're never like beholden to a single archetype even if that's what your game's doing unless you're specifically trying to like homebrew your game to do that right so you can have an archetype that's warrior, cleric, etc., uh, that has like all this prepackaged stuff. Uh, but then your characters can spring from there, and you know there's no like it's not like say Pathfinder Second uh, Edition where there's like all these different buckets of feats. You can only grab from this bucket of feats if you're A, B, and C, right? Uh, with Cortex, you know if it makes sense for your character growth. Typically, unless you know you and the other players talked about it, you're you can typically you're free to just grow however you want your character to grow. Another note there is that one of the potential traits that you can get are basically what they call roles. That's R O L E S, and you know they have that leverage, whereas like the different roles that you might have for a heist team. But if you were doing like a high fantasy game, you can write down that the roles are fighter, wizard, rogue. Or, and you can have more roles from there. And so, you know, a given player might have like a D10 fighter die. That's what they're really good at. But like a D6 wizard die. So they can maybe cast some cantrips. And, you know, you might say that like in order to get better at being a wizard, you have to drop down from your D10 fighter die. Uh, in order to improve the D6 wizard die. Um, that's what Cortex calls like fixed steps, uh, where in order to get better at one thing, uh, you have to drop down another thing. You normally see that with like the more like abstract traits, but you can absolutely do that for roles. And, you know, you're free to also add specialties and skills to these games as well. It's not all just abstract stuff. You can have the traditional like skill list and something like hard coded, like I am good at hacking. I am good at slashing, etc. Yeah, I'm getting the sense that if there's one thing Cortex might not be great for, it's what are we going to play tonight? Oh, let's play Cortex. It does require more work going in than, well, again, because it's the touch point, say D&D, where, oh, okay, yeah, well, it doesn't take a whole lot of work to make a cave filled with goblins, and everyone makes characters, and we go beat up the goblins. <laughs> mm. Doesn't seem like Cortex, that's that's just not what it's built for, and I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, it's just that different games are built to do different things. Uh, well, I would be remiss if I didn't mention like the good work that people have been doing in the Discord for Cortex specifically. And that's uh, we, we have at least one person who's the moderator, uh, Angel, who has like this Cortex build called Shuffle, where you can just build a Cortex game off the cuff, if I'm not mistaken. I haven't had a chance to try that yet. But then we've been doing these pickup games on Friday nights and Saturdays. I haven't been able to attend a lot of them, but you know, one of the Discord users over there Nate and I believe more of them do it. They'll basically just show up for a pickup game, talk about what kind of game they want to do, and they'll typically be rolling dice in like half an hour. Oh wow! 
Yeah, because the thing to remember is like, you know, your Cortex build doesn't have to be super complex for you to have fun. You can start with a very simple build for your Cortex games. Maybe you just tell the table that, okay, we're going to play with attributes and skills and just go from there. And we're going to use the suggested list of skills from the Cortex Prime Handbook. And it's like maybe halfway through the thing, you'd be like, you know, we're really kind of leaning into soap opera. Let's let's do relationship dice and you know, you can add from there. So you, you can do like a pickup game. It does require um, at least one person, but ideally more people to be familiar with what Cortex has as options to make it go even faster. But yeah, you, you can do pickup games. Fair. Yeah. Look, I'm just looking at the table of contents and, and reading all the things and it's like, yeah, it, it, it just, it feels like, and again, I, I, I'm not trying to say this is a bad thing. It feels like, it's intended to be a kit to make the game you want out of, as opposed to here's a game, this is how you play it. And I actually, I think that's a good thing. Yeah. I mean, like I said, there are three mini settings in there that you can just take and run some long games with and just use that as a base if you like. But if you're a GM or player that's not not looking to build your own thing, you might just want to lean on those premium settings or wait for Tales of Exadia and um, Legends of Grayskull or wait for the creator studio to come out. And that's going to be like the uh, DM skilled equivalent, right? Uh, where it's going to be um, all these fan-made games that they're actually going to get paid for uh, and pull something from there. And maybe they'll have the thing that you're looking for for Cortex. There's a, there's a lot of people like hacking stuff for Cortex. And, you know, we do like routine um, game jams where we're just making new games in like 10, 12 days. Uh, so even if you yourself don't want to like build a thing, chances are someone else out there has either already built the thing um, or is doing it. And I will say for those who are like, well, I do want to make a thing, but if someone's already done it, why, why should I do it? And I'm here to tell you that there's no two ways to make a game in my opinion like for example i've done several star wars games with cortex i have not made it the same way every time that i've ran it and it's worked fine because frankly I, I wouldn't build a cortex game the same way for the mandalorian like i would for the like original trilogy for example um mm -hmm. to me those are those deserve two different builds yeah i, I can see what you're saying there and I think that's that's the strength of this, you know, as I'm hearing it described, you know, is that it you make the game do what you need it to, not figure out how to do what you want to within the game. Yeah. I know that that's kind of an awkward way to say it, but, you know, it, it's... Yeah, I, I think the most elegant way that I've heard it said was from King Banks himself, where he says, you know, Cortex is the system that you wrap around an IP or setting rather than wrapping the setting around an IP. To kind of circle back to like D&D &D 5e, there's so many hacks for it, right? You have uh, Star Wars 5e, et cetera, et cetera. But like how many of those settings are are you just kind of shoehorning into the D&D &D infrastructure? D&D from what I've seen of hacks and such, doesn't do a great job of wrapping itself around a given uh, IP. Like, you know, I, I couldn't run a sitcom like New Girls or Seinfeld or whatever have you using D&D, &D, but I could with Cortex, while at the same time, I could also do Indiana Jones stuff and Star Wars and, you know, a Harry Potter knockoff. Yeah, like, like you quoted Cam there. That's probably the best way to say it. So you said that the creator studio, is there any word as to when that's actually due to launch 
Uh, no word yet. Um, we do know like some things about it. Like we know that, you know, if you're making a Cortex thing right now, it looks like unless you're doing like a special agreement uh, with fandom, which it sounds like they're open to, uh, you're typically only going to be allowed to sell stuff through the creator studio if you're making a Cortex game. But yeah, we, we don't know when it's uh, going to launch yet. Okay. So th there's not an OGL per se, but there is the sponsored outlet, so to speak. Right. Yeah. Uh, they're very adamant that it's, it's not like a, your standard OGL because, you know, a lot of people hear that there's, oh, there, there's going to be this system reference document and that commonly comes with like an open game license. Right. But um, that's not the case here. They're, they're going to do an SRD standard reference document, but it, it's not going to be this open game license. You have to basically do it through their channels. Well, but in, in a lot of ways, it, it seems like this this core book is built more like an SRD than a traditional core book. Yeah. And uh, they're they're planning on releasing a separate like SRD book that will have like all these ingredients just like not so spread out, just mm -hmm. you know, like a sort of rules dictionary, I suppose. Mm -hmm. I was gonna say the other thing that that I would say is the artwork in this book is very it's very pretty. You know, there's a lot of art, you know, it's it's very stylized and and well decorated but not to the point where you get some books where you know it's hard to read because they made an art book and put an rpg in it now this is <laughs> it all serves the purpose of the book which is to to show you this game but it's still very very pretty you know very nice you know thematic really neat stuff yeah, it's it's actually impressive too because uh, as as you can see in the book, they put the name of the artists uh, and credit the artists um, everywhere that they put a piece of art, and it's all done by different artists, and yet it's all still like consistent, like it all still vibes together. Yeah, uh, and it's all like consistent quality too. It's, it's very impressive what they did with the layout. Yeah, it's it's like similar styles, but not. Yeah, it, it works despite the fact that it's multiple artists, which is another thing that doesn't always happen. Right. Yeah, I've definitely been that person who has bought like a RPG just for the art. And it turns out that, you know, it kind of originally was an art book. You know, you look at stuff <laughs> like, say, um, the Genesis is the only thing that's popping up in my head right now. But, you know, that, that, was, a, uh, that was a game that was originally meant to be a movie. Uh, never wound up being a movie, but they had all this concept art, and yeah, they they just turned that into a tabletop RPG. Yeah, well, I was gonna say, that was the one that was just coming to my head too. That I didn't hear the, about it being a movie, but I knew it was put out put out by an art studio, basically as a portfolio that they could sell. Mm -hmm. That might be more accurate. Uh, the way I heard it is that they like had like an actual like movie script, but it's been a while since I looked at the Genesis. It's unfortunately just been sitting on my shelf for a while now. Yeah, I I have not gotten a chance. I had heard they released the, the PDFs for free recently. Yeah, apparently it's it's uh, all the digital stuff is apparently free, or maybe all of it, most of it, maybe I don't know. But you know, when when I got to the Genesis, which wasn't too long ago, like. You can only buy the books if you had it shipped overseas at like a very high price because I think it's published in, I want to say, Germany. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, that was that was pretty hefty. They didn't have, they didn't even have PDFs yet. Uh, but yeah, it's it's surprising. They've turned their system, I think it's the Catharsis system, which actually might be redundant now that I'm thinking about it, uh, into a, a free-to-play thing, I guess, uh, which is good for them. 
Yeah, no, like, like I remember hearing people talk about that and saying that this is, other than the fact that it is very adult, that it's it's like a coffee table art book quality as far as the artwork. Yeah, it's, it's very adult because it's like post-apocalyptic, grim, dark setting. And so some, some of the artwork in there is very adult, uh, adult. And it's not even necessarily like a lot of like gore necessarily. They just have uh, other stuff that you maybe don't want your kids looking at. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you, and I know everybody has this kind of thing with games. Uh, what is your kind of your go-to overall setting I guess with Cortex or, or even regardless of system, you know, do you like post-apocalyptic superheroes or, or whatever kind of mashup, you know, do you have a favorite thing you like to play? For me, it's, it's very much just whatever the flavor of the week is. I think it's easier for me to say that what's not typically my go-to and that's uh, high fantasy is typically, typically not my go-to, but I, I don't know. I, I suppose I would say maybe urban fantasy. Mm-hmm. I, I got into the hobby through Vampire the Masquerade back in the day playing Bloodlines, um, the Bloodlines video game, which I was probably too young for, but I played anyways. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I guess I have a soft spot for more urban fantasy stuff. That's cool. Yeah, I, I'm a little burnt on kind of classic high fantasy at this point, too. It's, mm. you know, it's just, well, and like for me, I actually got into the first game I ever played role-playing-wise was the old West End Star Wars, and then, you know, some some other sci-fi stuff in Call of Cthulhu were the games I played early on. And I think that does, the games that you play early on can really shape what you're looking for, I think, as, as you mature and go, oh, yeah, this is what really kind of, you know, triggers my imagination and, and gets my, my juices flowing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I don't know, I think it's uh, kind of interesting to see uh, to compare like two players like career, I guess you can say it was like one player might have had their start with Advanced Dungeons and Dragons and their player might have had their starts with the GURPS and then their player might have had their start like me with World of Darkness. And they're going to have like three different like outlooks on games that have only matured since then, I feel. Yeah. And, and the industry has changed and the philosophy of game design has changed so much. Well, the seventies through the eighties and the nineties and, and now, you know, in this millennia, it's, it's, it's evolved. And, and, you know, right now, especially we're in such a golden age, you know, between digital publishing and OGLs and, and all these things where there's just so much out there for you to, to be able to find, to find that thing that is what you're looking for. Yeah, I I think especially like it seems like every IP is getting their own tabletop game. And sometimes, you know, it's it's just like a IP that's adapting itself to, I don't know, 5e or an existing system. These IPs that are getting licensed for completely new RPG uh, systems. It's, it's an interesting time. It's been an interesting time for indie gaming. It's starting to grow to be a, a a little bit of a different time now in the space because I feel like there is like more and more tension with, you know, we got this D&D movie coming out. And so people are looking at role playing games and, you know, I think people are trying to just kind of jump ahead with IPs since it's like the easiest way to attract someone's attention from, you know, the top of the list with D&D to maybe looking at these other games. You know, it's, it's hard to show a person a list who, you know, maybe just watched the new D&D movie, which will surely be a hit and say, hey, look at Savage Worlds or look at uh, this Powered by the Apocalypse game. We can just show them the Alien RPG or the uh, the upcoming Terminator RPG, right? Yeah. 
I almost backed that Terminator RPG too. Mm-hmm. Probably end up kicking myself for not doing it, but <laughs> I actually played that studio's original game some back in the nineties. And, uh, it was an interesting game. <laughs> it's, I have it now in PDF, but, um, it was a really, mm-hmm. it's called Slay Industries, and they just released a second edition uh, hit stores, I think, in February this year. That sounds very familiar. It's, I would call it a dark metal sci-fi punk. Okay. <laughs> it's very kind of post-apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. It's definitely got cyberpunk vibes to it, but a little more sci-fi and very kind of aggressive tones to it, I guess is the best way to say it. You actually had a, a class in the original first edition of it that was called a kick murder. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that was like you said, but, but if that's your thing, then, you know, you're just thrilled with it. Now I, I will have to say, Steve and I have, have an IP that both of us keep going. That's a game I want to play, but no one has yet made it. And neither of us have yet taken the time to do so. Have you, by chance, ever watched, it was a series on A&E called Into the Badlands? Yes. I love that show a lot. The same creator is supposed to be doing some sort of kung fu western. I'm not sure if it's a spinoff or a continuation, but yeah, I, I like that show a lot. Yeah, that always, like, but it strikes me as, like, people go, what is it? I go, well, it's um, post-apocalyptic, antebellum, steampunk, mystic kung fu. Yeah, which sounds like it's trying to do too much at once, but it works. Yes, it's so fascinating. Yeah, that's a great series. It really is. Yeah. And Nick Frost is good in that, too. Everybody's good in it. I don't think there's anybody in that series that isn't good. But yeah, that's one that if somebody came out and said, oh, by the way, we got the rights and we're making this, I would be like, okay, uh, here's my money. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I'd be there with you. Although, well, I don't know if it was a 5e hack, but. You know, I probably still would be like, fine, I want to see what you, I will see how you do this. And if it's bad, I will tell you it's bad. (laughs) (laughs) I'll back it for the PDF because Mm. at least then, (laughs) at least then if it's bad, I can just delete it and forget exists. (laughs) (sighs) That's so mean, but you know, Mm. sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I agree with you that like where your formative years is sort of where you're tastes kind of lie and i i can agree with that i i know for myself i was always obsessed with like sci-fi movies and more cyberpunk and and stuff like that and that's why i've been attracted to cyberpunk 2020 that's what got me really started into games that aren't DD. and i know when i look at games that's like where my brain always goes to is like oh something like this or or something more cyberpunk or something more futuristic or just interesting stuff like that that's always always where i'm interested in well i think too though because television and film and even books to a lesser extent now but you know it's such a prevalent thing in in our culture that it's a touch point that you can go well it's it's like this thing and and like kirby said you know it's it's also Ooh, I saw that show. I liked it. What's this book? Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's fair, right? Because it's like, you know, you can go on, say, Reddit, RPG, subreddit. And there's always someone asking, even for some of the like most obscure stuff, what RPG can do this thing? Oh, I uh, <laughs> speaking of that, I sent you a TikTok a while ago, Steve, that was like, what RPG can do this thing? And, and it was a million comments like, oh, we'll just play it in this. And Oh, I can't remember what the exact John Wick. Yeah, John Wick. What could do John Wick well? And then it was like 
somebody commented like uh just ridiculous stuff just constantly and i was like yeah that sounds about right for for that reddit thread that's typically how that goes is you'll get people that are like i'll just play it in D D." no i don't but it doesn't do it right just but just do it <laughs> well but like you know cortex you can pick the, the pieces that you need to make it do what you want yeah i really do like that about cortex that's what draws me to generic systems in general is rather than being railroaded into i have to use the pieces that you're telling me i have to use i can build my own and pick and choose what i want to use as far as my as far as my rule set or my setting or stuff along those lines yeah it becomes a little interesting with cortex it's Interesting. It's like I don't know if either of you have gotten a tattoo, but if you if you've ever gotten a tattoo, dear listener, and you got your first tattoo, and assuming that you enjoyed the experience, you start looking at the world a little differently because you're like, <laughs> look at this weird thing on this corner of the street. That looks like it would be a cool tattoo, or oh, this looks like great art artwork. This would be a cool tattoo. You start looking at that like. Uh, with Cortex, oh, this would be a great game. Or you're watching this TV show. It's like, oh, I could see how I could do that in Cortex. And, you, you know, you just kind of start building off of that because you're just finding the inspiration everywhere. Yeah, I do that with RPGs in general. I go, ooh, I want to do that in a game. What game can I use for that? What's going to take me the least amount of work? <laughs> That's yeah. the next question. Yeah. What's going to take me the least amount of work? Yeah, uh, it's interesting because all these uh, different generic systems require like different types of work I, I feel like they're all almost the same like amount of work it's just different work right genesis i feel like if if someone hasn't already done like a list of equipment and weapons for the setting that you're thinking in your head you have to do that yourself you might have to also write uh what were they called talents yeah yeah talents yeah, you might have to write custom talents that are more apt for your setting, stuff like that. Um, with Cortex, you just have to think about like, I mean, it's, it's still a lot of work, quote unquote, in the sense that you have to think about like, I want to do Enter the Badlands. What's what's actually important? Because you have to think about how to build your character sheet, right? And it's like, well, all these people, like they're doing the martial arts, but they don't talk about different styles. So I guess I won't have traits that cover different styles. It doesn't really seem to matter for like the major characters, like the power difference. They all seem to be like relatively on there. So if that's not important. What is? And you just kind of follow that like rabbit trail until you get mm -hmm. the build that you want. Yeah. No, this, I'm definitely going to have to sit down and read this because it feels like, you know, I... I go through these these moments where I'm thinking about gaming and I, I go, man, I, I just want to have that, that one system that's my go-to. And then I go, but I don't want to give this game that I have up for this kind of thing. And I don't want to give this other game up for this other kind of thing. And so I end up just going, I want all the games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I think it's also a thing where even if you don't use Cortex as Cortex, you can glean things from it in terms of how to to maybe tweak some other game that you want to play by what Cortex does. So it's a valuable resource to have in your collection, even if you're not going to use it as is. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think for me, Cortex was just an easy sell because it has all the things that other games do like uh, individually uh, under one umbrella. 
And, you know, I, I came in through the uh, Firefly RPG, managed to grab that before it was pulled off the uh, digital shelves. Um, and, and that's one problem I should note is, uh, you know, all the stuff that belonged to, uh, what was it, Margaret uh, Vice uh, Productions or Publication? I, I forget. I think it was Productions. Yeah, it, those were all pulled because uh, Fandom didn't get all of that. So those are all pull. You, you can't get that um, off of drive through, right? You have to buy a second hand. But I got lucky. I got uh, Firefly, and even before I knew it was even going to be like a generic system, it just it was an easy easy sell for me because I had all these different parts that I do like from these different games. Had dice pull mechanics. I I prefer dice pulls. Uh, it has the mechanic where you're better at a thing if you have a bigger die in a thing. I love that in a game. Has the effect die. Uh, which is kind of like effect from uh, Blazing Dark. And I love that about Blazing Dark. It also has like roll to keep mechanics. And I definitely prefer that. It had that all under one umbrella. So it was easy for me to get into it. Mm -hmm. And then they they turned around and said, oh, this is going to be a, a, a toolkit system with its own book now. And it's like perfect. It came in at the perfect time. Yeah. And like I said, yeah, I think it's it, it looks like it's a if if you want to have that one game system that is your go to for everything, it looks like a really, really good choice for that. Yeah. You also start comparing it to games that you already own. Like I've used it to run Vampire the Masquerade, for example. And I would actually argue that it does some of the stuff that Vampire the Masquerade wants to do uh, better than like that actual tabletop system. But then there are other games where like the game that's designed for the specific thing turns out to be better. So it's, it's just nice to have Cortex there for when you run into those games like, well, I don't really like how crunchy this Shadowrun game is. Uh, I'll just run it with Cortex. Exactly. Exactly. Because some games, you know, like like you said, Shadowrunning, and we had a couple months ago, we did a interview with, with a couple of guys who've been into Shadowrun for years and, and love it. And uh, both of them actually do a decent amount of work for Catalyst at this point. But uh, they both said, look, nobody plays Shadowrun for the system. Absolutely. You know, like, you know, I'm not averse to crunch and uh, Shadowrun is a crunchy system, right? I just want my crunch to be well done if it's if it's going to be a crunchy game. And I don't think the Shadowrun stuff is well done. I do want to be clear. Like, I, I do play other games. I don't just substitute everything with uh, Cortex. Like, I, I'm currently into, like, the 2D20 system right now with the new Fallout and Octune Cthulhu game. Now, which which version of Fallout? The, the actual 2D20 Fallout isn't out yet, is it? Uh, you can pre-order it and get the pre-order uh, PDF copy now. Okay. Because I know, um, actually, the guy we talked to last week is streaming a game of Fallout Wasteland Warfare as an RPG. Yeah, th that's that's so weird to me because it's from the same company, right, uh, Modifius. Uh, and they advertise it as an RPG, but it was definitely like a minis game first that happened to have RPG supplements. And that, that kind of feels weird to me. Um, but yeah. they, they do have like... Um, this new Fallout 2D20 system. Kind of surprised because they're releasing three games essentially back to back. <laughs> yeah, they've got what? Dune. Yeah, Dune, Octune Cthulhu, and Fallout are all seemingly coming out at roughly the same time. All the pre orders are out for it. So you can pre order Dune and get that copy now. You can pre order Fallout, et cetera, and get that copy now, which I think Fallout's probably been the best one they've done for the 2D20 system. Yeah, I've, I've not gotten a chance to play with any of that. Although, uh, when you were talking about the, the Fallout thing, I, I remember now hearing an interview with, I believe the guy's name's Chris Birch, that's the head of Modifius. But they initially got a license to do kind of a board slash miniatures game and intentionally built it so it kind of had RPG in it 
in the hopes that they could eventually get, I guess it's Bethesda, to expand the license to allow them to put out a full RPG. Okay, yeah, that's clever. Okay. Yeah, so it, it, while it does seem odd, it was actually an intentional choice designed to go, oh, okay, let us do our thing with this, and then we'll show you how good we can do, and then we can do the thing we really want to do with it. Yeah. No, that was smart. I didn't, I, I didn't even think of it that way. So is there um, anything more you, you, you want to tell us about Cortex? Um, Anything more do I... Uh... No, I, I don't think so. If you want to see like Cortex in action, you know, JT and I have that miniseries. Fandom has their roll and keep series where they're basically rotating GMs and playing through their various settings. Uh, right now they have Melly uh, running Eidolon Alpha, which is kind of like this Roman or Greek. I think Greek based sort of. I don't want to say Pokemon thing, but it's kind of like a Pokemon thing because you play as characters that like are inhabited by uh, like a spirit of uh, an Eidolon that you used to have godlike powers. But at the same time, you can also send it out into a world and battle for you. So that's kind of Pokemon-esque there. Uh, and Melly is, uh, should actually be a somewhat familiar name. She's the community manager for uh, D&D Beyond as well. I think for just fandom in general, I'm pretty sure we had her on the show not too long ago. I was going to say, I recognize the name. I just wasn't exactly sure where from. So you can check that out there. And I mean, I think the only other thing uh, I, I want to talk Cortex about is, um, you know, JT and I on our show, we uh, do a segment um, every now and then. Uh, we don't do it for every episode where we, where we will prime a setting together. Sometimes we're tackling it from two different angles. Sometimes we're doing it cold where we're just talking about it on spots. Uh, and, you know, we've gotten suggestions like, you know, we did Avatar the Last Airbender. We took a suggestion from Melly and primed that. That was about like, cooking and witches uh, we we turned uh, that to a game uh so i'm here to ask the two of you what do you think jt and i should prime next i mean my first response is to tell you we just told you about five minutes ago <laughs> yeah that's that's my go-to is is just to be like yeah just i want to see you two mm. you know workshop and in, into the badlands game and then also simultaneously steal that and play it on my own <laughs> yeah absolutely all right then. I'll uh, I'll let JT know if he hasn't already watched the show. He has a lot of binging to do. It was what? Was there three or four seasons? Uh, I think just three seasons, but it's like hour long episodes, right? Or yeah, about forty five minutes. Yeah. Well, okay then. Yeah. Uh, well, that well, that's all I have to say about Cortex right now. I got some thinking to do about Into the Badlands again. <laughs> <laughs> well, at, at least it's a show you already enjoy, so it won't be quite yeah. as much work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, with that, I think we're moving into Game of the Week. Game of the Week! Game of the Week! Game of the Week! All right, who's going first? Uh, I can. All right. Steve goes first. All right, Steve goes first. Steve has a game. I don't think we've talked about it. I'm not sure. I can't think that we've talked about this game. It's a game called Never Going Home, and it is by uh, Wet Ink Games. It is a like weird magical World War One game where like the way they describe it is the veil between worlds like opened up and so magic now is, exists in the in the normal world but it's also set during World War One and they describe it as sort of a horror game and I can buy that it's it's a really weird really cool setting that I 
I just, I look at it and it just looks so cool. And this is up my alley. It's a 2020 any award winner for best art. The art is really interesting, really gorgeous, and definitely something to check out. Like I said, it it, it is just this weird World War One game where it's that mixed with, like I said, Cthulhu and magic and grim dark fantasy, just really cool stuff. Yeah, I I remember hearing about this now that you mention it, but it had kind of fallen off my radar. But yeah, this that is definitely the kind of thing that I'd be interested in that too. Honestly, if you've listened to the podcast long enough, nobody's shocked that I'm like, hey, I got this weird, like, historical, like, fantasy horror game. <laughs> but yeah, that's on my list as as definitely something to pick up and, and get checked out. It's currently $10 for the PDF on drive-thru. You know, you can get the book and the PDF for 20 bucks, which is really, really not a bad, not a bad deal at all. So... Yeah, it looks like there's a handful of supplements out there for it, too, that are all 10 bucks or under. Yeah, looking at that, too, there were a bunch of other supplements and, and things to purchase along with that. So if you like a game that has support, it's definitely got some pretty interesting support, and it seems like a really interesting, interesting role-playing game. All righty, then. Kirby, would you like to go next, or would you like me to? I'll go next. Um, so my game, probably mispronouncing the title here, is Jianxi blood in the banquet hall i'm again i probably mispronounced the name but it's the um it's a chinese vampire and this is a role-playing game that also like intakes some elements of board game design uh, i haven't had a chance to read through all the books uh, but i backed it on kickstarter and rediscovered it in my inbox uh recently but basically it's this uh storytelling game where you play as a chinese family trying to make a living in i want to say 1920s or maybe 30s uh america in chinatown and essentially, you know, by day you're running your restaurants, but at night you have to protect yourself and others from the dreaded Jianxi, the uh, the hopping vampires, right? Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And so it is primarily about storytelling. It's not really about the combats, although they do have combat mechanics. It's pretty light and limited. It's more about the horror or, if you want, comedy of the... Uh, of the storytelling. I, I got the PDF thing of this. I, I really want to go back and perhaps just get the like box set because it does kind of center around a board and mechanics like you are playing a board game, but at the same time, you're doing some role playing, right? And yeah, I, I'm still reading through that, so I don't have a whole lot to say, but yeah, that's uh, Jianxi, Blood in the Banquet Hall, and um, you might have heard of, uh, heard of it if you listen to like uh, the Asians Represent podcasts. Is actually designed by Asian creators, uh, which is a, a, a big deal to me personally. And yeah, I, th I think it's an interesting experience that you can have, even if you just play it like the one time, because there's a lot of support there for what was it like for them back in the 20s or 30s and what, what did they have to deal with? And then you also get introduced to some of the like actual lore of the situation. I want to say I heard about this actually on an episode of Russ Morrissey's podcast that he interviewed, I want to say Banana Chan about it. The one, I think she's the primary author. Yeah, it's her and one other person whose name I'm uh, unfortunately blanking on right now. But Banana Chan, I believe, is the primary author. Hopefully not downplaying the other person's uh, work. Yeah, well, on in the authors, in the drive through listing, there's, oh, geez, seven or eight people listed as authors. Yeah, I, I think they took a lot of people in 
Um, they also like were very responsive to feedback during the Kickstarter, if I remember right. You know, someone else like someone had pointed out like a problematic element and I think artwork and they worked to fix that. And yeah, I suspect it's going to be a really delightful game when I finally get to the table. I think this is the type of game that I want to play in person, which is not a thing I say too often. I do like playing online. I'm not averse to playing online, but this seems like more of a game, especially with the board game elements that I would want to do in person. Yeah, I remember hearing about it and going... Sounds pretty darn interesting. Yeah, that's I was not aware of it, and now it is definitely on my list. What do you got, Steve? Well, I, I'm gonna kind of cheat. It's a game we've actually talked about a decent amount on the podcast, although it has never made it to game of the week. I think you know what I'm talking about already. This is Delta Green. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's a little bit of a cheat, but I, I figured it, it's worth mentioning because it really if if you don't know what Delta Green is, it is a Call of Cthulhu spin-off, but it uses a kind of streamlined and modernized version of the rule set that is incredibly simple to play at the table. And it, it, if you're into that kind of mythos horror type stuff, it's it's an absolutely fabulous game. You know, it won, I believe, at least a silver Annie when it came out in 2016. You know, the artwork is all... It's kind of disturbing, but it's called Cthulhu game, so <laughs> it should be. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But the other thing, if this is a thing, you know, we were talking about how the artwork in, in Cortex is also cohesive. I believe Dennis Detweiler does all the art for the entire line, all the books, all the, you know, be it the, the GM screen. And I, I actually bought the uh, the hardcover slipcase a little over a year ago now. And it's it's they're 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 wonderful books. You can get, you know, you can get all the PDFs on drive through. There's an agent's handbook. There's a handler's guide. Handler's guide is in all honesty mostly lore and information on their version of the setting. All the rules are in the agent's handbook. But the other thing about this game that I, I really love is they have a, technically it's a pay what you want quick start. For the digital version, it's pay what you want. It's called Need to Know. And I have to say, as far as the rules in a quick start, I have not seen one that gives a better explanation of rules. I mean, they include pre-gens, but there are basically full character creation rules in the quick start. I dare say if you had something to source adversaries from, maybe an old Call of Cthulhu book or something like that, you could actually play a campaign from the quick start rules easily. You know, my personal opinion now, Steve, you, you actually, I ran this for, for you and a couple other friends, the adventure that's in the quick start guide. I think it's a little, it's not the strongest adventure, but it's a quick start guide and it's pay what you want. So you can't really complain. I thought it was a pretty decent adventure for it being what it was. But uh, it, it's, I mean, and you can attest to this, it's the, the rule system is so simple to play. Oh, yeah. There's really only like one complex mechanic in it. And it's not even that complex. It's just you have to, it, it's a little fiddly, but that really only comes into play in, in what I would call campaign mode because it has to do with, they have the sanity system that Call of Cthulhu is famous for, right? But they added a thing to that called bonds, which what those are is your character's relationships with, say, and, and you get to create them as you create your character. It could be your character's wife, children, ex-wife, dog, you know, somebody from work anything like that, right? But what this mechanic allows you to do is in cases of rather traumatic sanity loss, you can negate some of that sanity loss by taking a hit on these bonds. And so in a lot of ways, 
the overarching story of the game in campaign play is actually you watching the toll that that going and and trying to keep all these bad things at bay is taking on your agent in everyday life which again it's probably not a game for everyone but if if you like that modern horror cthulhu mythos it's a really really solid take on that that uh that bond mechanic a lot just from the sounds of things i haven't gotten a chance to check the game out but it's an interesting uh cross dynamic there because normally like with games that do sanity loss right it's unfortunately like very generic for such like a a real life sensitive topic right and i i feel like some of these games don't always capture it they just think oh it's cosmic horror let's just have a generic thing put in place but the bond thing sounds like it's really going to highlight some stuff that i would be down for exploring yeah and i believe and and i actually well okay i'll give you an idea my my views on the quality of the quick start i downloaded it and then I bought it in physical because I found the version that came with the GM screen. Mm. <laughs> so I actually, I have multiple copies of the quick start in addition to the two volume slipcase with the agent's handbook and the uh, handler's guide. And I also bought one of their uh, books with like half a dozen scenarios in it because uh, writing horror scenarios is, is a little bit daunting in a lot of ways. And so I figured if nothing else, they were good things to, to look at and kind of dissect and learn from. Yeah, it sounds like a very generous quick start, too, if you're saying that you can practically just run a campaign with it. I don't... Now, it doesn't have... It's a skill-based game, right? So there, there's not classes, but they do have if you will, templates that like, okay, you're a scientist, so you're going to have roughly this skill package and then some extra you know, skill points to put here, there, wherever. They don't include as many of those in the quick start guide as they do in the agent's handbook, but there's still, I want to say, four or five of those templates and direction as to, well, if you want a, a template that's not here, this is how you would build it. And the other thing, if you're really strapped for time, you can actually, and I don't know if it's free because I haven't looked, you can actually get the quick start guide on Audible in audio format. That's okay. That took a second for me to process. Well, that's really interesting. Yeah. Like I said, it, it's, you know, it's Arc Dream is the, the publishing company. You know, like I said, I've, I've talked about them a decent amount on the show before, but if that type of game is appealing to you, it is a, in my opinion, it is an absolutely wonderful version of it completely agree i adore delta green so much <laughs> it is such a great game you know base mechanic is is the the d100 roll under that if you've ever played call of cthulhu it's okay there's a number on the page i need to roll dice and get underneath it almost no math involved in gameplay so yeah it's it's a really really solid game so i guess then that sounds like that wraps that kirby do you have uh any further links, anything like that you'd like to give people where they can find Prime by Cortex or, you know, any, I know you mentioned a lot of different discords and so forth. Um, yeah. Oh man. I wish JT was here. He's, he's usually really great about that stuff. I'm, I'm really bad about like self promoting, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you can find us on like Facebook and Twitter. We're typically slash primed by Cortex. We also are on the D20 radio server as well. I think JT is, moderator or maybe even the admin I, I don't know is he seems like he's everywhere and yeah we're we're both active on the cortex rpg discord uh which you know if you want a link to that if you find our podcast you can find it in the show notes 
there. And keep in mind, like, again, we're, we're not sponsored by fandom. We're not even admins or moderators for that server either. We're just super active on there. Uh, so you can find us there too. Fair enough. I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll pester JT and make him send me the links since he had the nerve to be busy when I asked him with like three hours notice if he wanted to come <laughs> do the show. Let's, let's just call him up right now. He can just do it over the phone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think with that, then, uh, our, our stuff, you know, we're on Twitter and Facebook and Discord. all those fun. Yeah. We have the discord and, and the links for all that we put in the show notes as well. And, and like I said, we'll put all the links for prime by cortex and so forth down there as well this week, I guess with that, you know, thanks for taking the time to, to come chat with us, Kirby, uh, especially on short notice. Yeah. Especially on such short notice. Thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about Cortex and, you know, a system that neither of us have really touched, but have been wanting to for a while. And yeah, we do really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. You know, I'm always eager to talk Cortex. I was waiting by the phone practically when you contacted me. So that's perfect. You know, if you want to hire me to talk Cortex at your birthday, your wedding, whatever, (laughs) just let me know. I just imagine uh, you have a, a big red phone, like the old Batman series where it was a big red phone or or like uh, Powerpuff Girls where you're just like waiting by it and it rings. It's like, want to talk about Cortex? All right, I'm here. <laughs> got the pager too, so just hit me up. All right, we'll, All we'll right. get those numbers from JT too. <laughs> and one other thing we wanted to bring up, there's an initiative starting on the Genesis Community Discord for some assorted one-shots that are going to be recorded for probably actual play broadcast somewhere. We're not exactly sure, nor are they exactly where they're going to be broadcast. And the first session, that's going to be April 18th, 2021, with more sessions, etc. to be posted. So if you're interested in that, go check out the Genesis Community Discord. We'll put the link down in the show notes. And check the announcements channel. It's where you'll find most of the information. Well, with that, we do want to thank everybody for listening. And we do want to remind each other to be kind to one another and get out there and play some RPGs. Yep. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can also find us at facebook.com slash meandsteverpg. Thank you and be kind to each other. for the cigar. Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that. JT, do you want to go next or would you like me to? Or not JT. You're Kirby. <laughs> Kirby, would you yeah. like to go next or would you no, like no, me you're to? Right. Well, I'm legally changing my name, remember? Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, I'll go next. Uh, JT or yeah, JT, no, you're not Kirby. JT, Kirby. He's, Kirby. <laughs> yeah. yeah.